Good morning, everybody. How we doing? New year. Um, we are going to start today, and we're going to spend the next 12 months, we're going to go through the entire Bible. Okay? Um, I don't want you just to be a church in the Word. I also want you to be a church of the Word. So as we go through things over these next couple of months, a few months, lots of months, um, I want you to not just read words coming off the page of Scripture, but I want you to understand that the Word of God is living and active. Uh, it is powerful when it is applied in the context. And we're going to do some things this, this church year to help you not just get in the Word, but learn how to live it out. We're going to give you some tools. Starting this Wednesday, I'm going to start teaching uh, Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. If you have youth, you can bring your kids to youth. We don't have child care, but we will have youth if you want to drop them off. Um, but we're going to do a teaching series where I'm going to walk you through a few weeks of understanding the Jewishness of Jesus. Now, you may say, why does that matter? Because Jew, uh, Jesus lived in Jewish culture as a Jewish man, and we're going to unlock a few principles over the next few Wednesday nights that are going to help you. When you read the Scripture, you're going to understand how important understanding the Old Testament is for us to be revealed to the New Testament, of why Jesus did certain things. And so I want to invite you to be a part of that. You don't have to sign up. You just show up. Just bring a notebook and uh, something to write with, and, and we're going to help, help you do that. Uh, we're also going to give you on the back of your handouts. Your handouts will be more important now than ever when you walked in. Uh, you were given the opportunity to grab one of those. On the back of it, and we'll post these on social media. If you do not follow us on social media, we uh, go to, on Facebook or Instagram. You can find us there. But we're going to be posting a reading plan. All right, We're going to give you five passages to read during the week. You have seven days and five passages. So you can take a couple of days off because we're going to give you a couple of rest days. But if you'll start reading uh, your reading plan, when we get to December, you will have read through the Bible this year. Okay, So we're trying to, to give you different ways to do that. Um, so we're going to start today in the beginning. So we're going to get to some places throughout this when we start talking about, you know, 2 Kings and uh, Ezekiel and some passages that maybe you're not familiar with, and you're going to be flipping through your scripture trying to find them. Today is going to be the easiest passage for you to find, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. So if you want to go ahead and flip your Bibles there, I do encourage you, I know we have it on the screens, um, I am, I always thought, you know, I'm not going to be like my parents, I, I'm going to evolve with technology uh, how many of you still have to have a hard book when you purchase a book? Those, you are my people, okay? How many of you prefer to read it on a Kindle or an iPad? I knew we had good people in this church. I got, I got to fill it. I need to be able to write notes. I need to mark it up, you know, and I, I have a policy that if I read a book that I really like, I buy a second copy of that book so I can give it to somebody else to read and then hopefully return it. Um, some, some people do not return, but you know, as Jesus's book, you do with it as you please. But we're going to, we're going to look in Genesis chapter one today. Um, and what I, we're going to, we're going to hit chapter one, chapter two, chapter three quickly. And what I want you to see today is I want you to know how the conflict in the garden of Eden, I want you to see how that conflict and the consequences of sin that took place in that garden on that day have affected us and reveals that we have a need for a Savior. So what you're going to get today is going to be the understanding, I would say the foundational piece, the understanding the rest of Scripture that we study from here, from here on out. So 
Don't miss today's. And, and if you know somebody that's not here this morning, share it when we post it uh, so that they can watch it, so they can get the foundational piece. So in Genesis, it is written, people don't realize this, it was written by a guy named, anybody? Just Anybody? Moses. Moses writes the first five books of the Bible. Uh, in the Jewish world, they call this the Torah. Okay, this is what they would study. Uh, matter of fact, many um, about the age of 12 could quote the Torah, the first five books of Moses from memory. Okay, uh, I do not remember my cell phone number or my debit pin number, but yet they could quote the entire uh, first five books of the Bible from memory. Um, Moses writes this book. You'll notice that there's only a few chapters that are really uh, focused in on the creation of the world. So he, he starts focusing a little bit just on the creation of the world, and then the Bible makes this shift to start focusing on what I would call the centerpiece of creation, which is us. It's, it's human. It was Adam and Eve. You have to understand that the Bible is a love letter that shows us how to have a relationship with God, that God starts out with a relationship. That relationship's going to be tarnished by sin, but then God's going to do everything to restore that through Jesus as we move forward. So I, I would say it this way, too, that the New Testament is explained by the Old Testament, like why he loves it, why Jesus would go to such, or God would go to such extent of sending his only son to restore the things that are broken. So the Bible is bookended with these two thoughts. In the beginning, it starts with a relationship and God dwelling with his people. We're going to see here in just a minute that God physically walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. Okay, And then what we're going to find when we get to the book of Revelation, when this final chapter closes in the scriptures in heaven, God is dwelling with his people. This book is a love letter about bringing us back into relationship, doing the things that we were created to do, and that was to be in relationship with God and live in peace and in goodness. Okay? Y'all have that? You good? So let's see how everything went wrong. So in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says, in the beginning, God, what? Created. He said, so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That word created in the Hebrew is bara. So say that with me, bara. It means to create out of nothing. Okay? Out of nothing. So 14 times in the books of Moses, in the first five books, that word bara is used. It is only used when talking about God creating. Because it means literally to create out of absolutely nothing. Okay? So 14 times. So he says, in the beginning, God creates out of nothing. The creator creates out of nothing. The heavens and the earth. All right? We think that we've accomplished a lot in life. But in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. So let's write this down. God creates. He creates out of nothing all that we see around us. Uh, Arthur, Arthur and Pastor Mark Batterson always said this, and it's, it's intrigued me. But he says that you and I were once wave, uh, wavelengths on the vocal cords of God when he spoke us to be in, in existence. How about that? That we were in the very thing when he spoke us into existence. I believe that God created the heavens and the earth. And, and your theology has to start here, everybody. Because if you don't believe that, then you get everything else messed up. Uh, if you want to understand gender identity, you come back to Genesis chapter 1. If you want to understand why you and your wife 
have arguments. You've got to come all the way back to the book of Genesis. If you want to understand what it's supposed to look like and how to have peace, you've got to come all the way back here. Everything starts here. I believe that what we're going to find that heaven is in Revelation 21, we're going to find that heaven is Genesis chapter 1, where there was no sickness, uh, no, no tears. Everything was working in the way that it was supposed to. So God creates from chapter 1 to chapter 23. God creates. And Moses is giving us this 30,000 foot account, chronological account of what is happening between the world and what's happening between man. So then he stops in chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 4, and he begins to shift from focusing on creation. Now he begins to focus on the very centerpiece of creation, which was you and I. It was Adam and Eve. And he tells Adam that you can have any tree in the garden you want. Uh, man, it's a free-for-all eat up, enjoy yourself, but just do not eat of that tree. Now, we now know that tree. We call it the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil, right? It wasn't some weird tree that shaped differently, looked differently, um, that was taller than the other. It was just like every other tree. The only thing was God just said, that tree I do not want you to touch. From that tree, I do not want you to eat anything because the moment that you eat, bad things are going to happen. Why? Because I told you not to eat from that tree. So go enjoy everything else that is in the room. So that tree is off limits. Now, let's look in chapter 2, verse 18. It says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. Okay? Not good for man to be alone. He says, I will make a, what is that word? Helper. Note that we're going to come right back around to that. I'm going to show you why Hebrew language is super important. And I'm, we're going to make an Old Testament, New, uh, New Testament connection here in just a minute. He says, I'm going to make a helper um, corresponding to him. And the Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal, every bird of the sky, and he brought each to the man to see what he would call it. So Adam gets the name the animals. He's like, well, that, uh, gosh, that thing looks like a beaver and looks like a duck. We'll just go a duckbill platypus. Let's call that an elephant, dog, goldfish cat. And God said, oh, well, I don't know how that one got in there. I didn't mean to make that one. And so Adam is making all of these, naming all these animals. And he says, whatever the man called the living creature, that, that was the name of the living creature. And the man gave names to all of the livestock, to the birds of the sky, to every wild animal. But for the man, there was no helper found. He noticed everything else around him had helpers. Adam didn't have anything that was corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused him to fall into a deep sleep. Can somebody say amen? He took a nap because it's exhausting trying to come up with names of animals. And he falls into his deep sleep, and the sleep comes over the man, and he slept. And God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. And then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, the one at last is the bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, the one who will be called a woman." For she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and his mother, and he bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, but yet there was no shame. I believe there's probably more to this conversation when Adam woke up and saw her, because he has just gone through the entire garden. He has just named every single animal. Nothing looked like him. And then all of a sudden, there's this woman in front of him. And it was like, Where's she come from? While worrying about, man, it feels a little weird over here on the side. 
What you got to understand is Adam is a real man in a real garden, living in a real world. This is not a fairy tale. Oftentimes we read this as a fairy tale. He was a real person. How do we know he's real? I'm glad you asked that question. Because if you look at the New Testament, there are six references to Adam. One of those, the most important of those, I believe, is in Luke chapter 3. When the genealogy of Jesus is being read, guess who we find in the genealogy? Adam. Not Adam over here in the New Testament. He, we find it is Adam in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 1, in chapter 2, and chapter 3. So he appears in the genealogy. He is a real person. Now I want you to notice too in verse 18, the Bible uses the word for the first time that this is not good. Every time God creates, he says it is good. But when he notices that Adam is without a helper, he uses the terms not good. So the first thing in the scriptures that is not good is Adam being alone. And I don't know if Adam's walking around in the garden and he's lost and God realizes he needs somebody to help give him some directions because he's walked by the same tree ten times. Or he doesn't know where he put his fig leaf. I don't know what happened. But God, notice, Adam doesn't ask for the helper. This is important. God gives him the helper. Because God saw Adam's greatest need. And I believe the reason, because don't you think it's weird that he got to name all the animals? I believe that God didn't just give him that position to name the animals, but I believe that he was driving something deeper down in him. You cannot live life alone. And he saw everything else had a partner. And then God says, you know, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you somebody. Because it's not good that man live alone. We can take this outside of the marriage context. It is not good for you to live your life alone. Loneliness is a killer, is it not? It drives all kinds of emotions. It causes all kinds of pains and issues. And so God says, I'm going to give you the helper. The translation for that word helper does not mean that the woman is a slave or a servant. Okay, That's how we often read that. was like, well, Adam needed, needed a woman to do all these things. Well, that's not what the scripture at all reads in, in the original language. The, the, the word means that God gave Adam an essential counterpart. Okay, an essential counterpart. Remember, I told you a minute ago that I, I want to help connect something for you from the Old Testament to the New Testament. God said Adam needed, and what was the word that he needed? Not counterpart, started with an H, ends with an er. He needed a helper. This is the same word that Jesus is going to use in the New Testament. This is the same word that he's going to describe, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. When he says that I will give you a helper. Same word, same context. Now, I'm not saying the women in here are the Holy Spirit, but they definitely are helpers, and they definitely are, are counselors, and they, they could fit a lot of that role. But it, isn't it amazing that Jesus would choose to use that very word to help us understand that the counterpart, the helper that Adam needed, and the counterpart that we are going to need with the Holy Spirit when Jesus leaves. So Jesus uses the same word. Jesus says the Spirit is going to come and he's going to be a helper. He's going to be an essential counterpart to who you are. So you got to understand the marriage that we see here in Genesis chapter 1, the marriage is the strategy that God puts together to reach the world. The marriage is a picture of the gospel. What we see happening here with Adam and Eve is a clear picture of the Bible. 
I love what Matthew Henry says. He says, The woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. Isn't that good? And that's, that was the purpose of the creation, that she's not just some slave or bond servant. She is an essential counterpart. Men, this is your time right now. We need our spouses, right? We, one person. Everybody else is going to be in counseling next week. So let's go back to the text before you get yourself in any further trouble. I, I tried to help you out there. I, can't, I can only do so much. It says, so back to the text, it says, it talks about that they noticed that they were naked for the first time, Right? So the, the nakedness here doesn't mean being unclothed necessarily. They were opened and exposed to one another. There was no shame. They had nothing to hide. They didn't have to hide their text messages or worry about you know, what was on their computer search history. They were an open book to one another. This is what the Bible is talking about. They, they are an open book. They're opened and exposed. Both Adam and Eve going after the same goals, living the same life. Um, and now all of a sudden sin enters and things are no longer exposed and it goes to the wayside. So write this down. Sin corrupts. All right, what we're going to read in these next few passages, this is going to help you understand why, it's going to answer a lot of questions. Why, why did they get a cancer diagnosis and die of cancer? Why do school shootings continue? Why are children continue to be abused? Why are these persons strung, well, these, these people in my life strung out and addicted to drug use or to alcohol or, or everything bad can be explained right here in Genesis chapter three, because sin corrupts. Let's look at these verses. It says, "Now the serpent was the most cunning of all of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, "Did God really say?" that you can't eat from any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Did you see what Eve just did right there, by the way? When she answered that question, she added something to it. Did you catch what she added to? God told them not to what? Eat. Did you see the other word she used? God said not to eat or touch. He didn't tell her not to touch it, but Eve goes above and beyond to draw that line to make sure. So the serpent, and I want you to picture this, she's talking to a snake. If we saw that happening today, what happens? We're going to call somebody, right? And by the way, Adam is standing by watching all this. And the serpent says, no, you, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. And in fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes are going to be opened, and you'll be just like God, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for attaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruits, and she ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So Eve always gets so much trash talk. I can't believe Eve did that. I want to read that verse for you one more time, that... She took some of the fruit and ate it, but she also gave some to her husband who was with her. I mean, you going to let your counterpart go down? So he watches it happen. And then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were what? 
No more open book, transparent, authentic, everything is good, no fears. So they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. This is literally the serpent who's walking upright on, on his feet, right? He's walking. And he begins talking to Eve. And I would say it this way, that Satan appears as an honest religious seeker. Because you think about the questions that were asked. They were not out of, out of you know, the norm. Did God say that? I mean, how many of you have been in small groups, life groups, disciple groups, and you've heard those questions asked of, well, what, did God really mean this when that was said? I mean, that's an innocent question, right? Like We actually encourage you to ask those questions. But here, Satan appears to be as if he has good intentions for Eve and Adam. And he appears as this honest religious seeker of, did God really say that you can't eat of that tree? He, he tells the first lie in Scripture. This is why Jesus calls Satan the father of lies, because the first lie was told by Satan in the garden. All right? And so he tells the first lie in the Scriptures, but I'm just going to be honest with you. If my wife is talking to a reptile, I'm probably going to get involved in some way, shape, or form. I'm going to feel like this needs to be addressed. So you have to beg the question, what is Adam doing? Why is Adam, why don't we see it play out that he's stepping in to protect her? Why do we not see that he knows that there's something bigger going on here and this needs to be dealt with? Well, let me tell you why I think. I think Adam's not saying anything because I think the serpent had deceived him just like it had deceived Eve. But he just decided to sit back and let her take the first bite. And by the way, it only took one bite in all of this. All it takes on our sin is one sip, one puff, one click, and it destroys our world. And we play with it. It's the same thing. We, we joke about it and say, hey, Eve's talking to a snake. It's the same thing when you come up against your vices and you play with it. It's like playing with an apex animal. It's going to attack and devour you. And this sin of Eve and this sin of Adam... We are full force facing the consequences today. Do you agree with that? Because you've got to come from that, from a, a theological understanding that this is sin entered the world. This is not what God intended. They're, they're, the scriptures are going to go on. You're going to have sicknesses and plagues, and um, you're going to have fighting, and, and Adam and Eve are going to get in their first marital spout. Their kids are going to be awful. They're going to be the kids that you see of like, mm, those kids are awful. And they're going to be the talk of the garden that they got kicked out of. They're going to kill one another. It's, it's a whole thing. Like it all unfolds. Because Satan goes in and he disguises the way that he says stuff to get her to just follow along with the conversation and in innocence and she trusted and then boom, it happens. But he tells a lie. The best lies, tell me if you think this is true, the best lies sound the most like the truth. That's all it takes a little bit. Did God really say that? What was he doing? He was putting doubt in her head. Well, did, did he? You ever been so certain of something and then you have that one person? You know who that spiritual gift person is. You have it and then they're going to say one thing and it's like, well, let me, let me take it back innocent. I, I am notorious for leaving the house and then I'll start asking questions. Do we lock the back door? Check that out. 
Like at this point, I should probably have the app on my phone, but it, I don't for whatever reason. But remind <laughs> me of that later. Allison, could you check the app? Make sure that I don't think the back door locked. He used to do the same thing with the garage. It's like, is, is the garage open? Did I leave the garage up? I didn't even go in the garage or anywhere near the garage, but that doubt. And I start trying to convince them. No, I absolutely. And then we leave the house, right? We're going on, we're going on a trip or going out of town or going somewhere, Walmart, which is a big deal. And we ask, everybody got everything you need. Everybody's got everything. And you walk out of the house and you get in the car and you get halfway down the road. Do you think I turned my flat iron off? <laughs> and then the doubt hits. And then you make the turnaround and you come back home and it was unplugged the whole time. Like, you're convinced. I know I unplugged it. I remember unplugging it. I, I physically saw the white cord that I pulled out of the wall. And I've got three women in my house, so there's three flat irons we have to worry about at all times. But you, you've ever had those moments where you, were, you knew this is what it is, but then that little bit of doubt came in. It's like, well, maybe, maybe, maybe not. Like some of you convinced yourself, like you spiritually grew leaps and bounds last year. And it took one person saying something to you, and you began to unravel. Because it took one thing. It took one comment. It can be one word from a person that could be so detrimental to your entire life. To take your confidence out. And this is what Satan does. He disarms us. And, and today, his words are louder and can get out a lot faster than what it did. At least when I was growing up. We had to get on dial-up internet. You know what I mean? Some of you didn't even have internet. It was some of y'all are carrier pigeons, and uh, it's it's cool. It's good. A broken clock is right twice a day, but it doesn't mean it's right, right? So, just because it gets it right twice a day doesn't mean it's right. Would you say it's worse to have a clock seven minutes off or seven hours off? I would say seven minutes, because if you're seven minutes off. You miss your dinner reservation. If you're seven minutes off, you miss your flight. Anybody miss a flight? Hopefully not on the plane that just, if you haven't seen the video, we've been talking about this morning, it's interesting, the, the Boeing, that the whole side of the plane like just ripped out of the wall while they're in the sky. It's an amazing video. People are just sitting there all cool. They were, must have been really good with Jesus. And there's a hole, and they're all just looking out, and the city as the plane's turning, and so, yeah, there's Boeing. Uh, I'm, sure, it, I'm pretty sure that wasn't the Charleston plane, because we do things different. But seven minutes messes everything up, but we convince that it's all fun. This is what Satan does. He puts that little bit of doubt. It's so close to the truth to be correct, but yet it's not at all. And we'll bite, and we'll sink our teeth into it. And he did it when he said, did God really say. I want you to notice something. Satan's tactic here is he used the very words of God against them to bring doubt. Because there's times that I can read the scripture and feel so condemned how awful I am. I am such a wretched individual. But I missed the other part of the scripture. But you have been adopted. You are a joint heir with Jesus. You are his sons and his daughters adopted by the king. Because let me tell you something, Satan will preach you a gospel if you will listen to it. And he will twist it just enough. This is where legalism comes from. This is where self-righteousness comes from. And this is often where we just completely shut down and feel like we're not good enough to even have a relationship. I can't serve at a church because I'm not good enough. I can't be in a life group because I'm not good enough. I can't be a disciple because I'm not good enough. I'm barely good enough just to drive into the parking lot. Let me help you up. 
none of us apart from Jesus are good enough to do anything. It's him who gives us identity. But he will preach a sermon loud and clear. You ever had him preach a sermon to you? Let me help you. Some of you, let me tell you why some of you will not even attempt to lift up your hands in worship. Because you feel like a fake and a hypocrite. I feel that way because, you know, Satan's telling me that I, I know what argument I just had with my family on the way here. Some of the worst arguments you have with your family are on Sunday mornings, are they not? <laughs> like that's, he's like, oh, here we go. And then you get in here and you just feel like a complete wreck and like a complete fake. And I can't, and I've got to put this front on. Listen, this is a place that you can be open and honest about where you are. If, if Sunday today was awful when you got here, just tell us Sunday's awful. It was, it was awful. I would rather be somewhere else. Somebody asked me, I was going through some stuff last week, and they said, so how are you? I said, I would rather have a root canal. Is that what you want to hear? Like, I would take four root canals today. I'm just going to be honest, because we get nowhere when we're not honest about where we are. But we're, we've not been called to be fake. But the enemy will use whatever he can to bring that little bit of doubt. He always packages half-truths with lies. Let me give you some examples. Satan tells four lies to the first couple. Number one, he says, God doesn't really love you. Because if he loved you, he'd let you have some of that tree. Like, do you know why I don't let my kids put their hands on the burner on the stove? It's not because I don't want them to have fun. Well, when y'all go to bed, mom and dad like to turn the, the burners on, and we like, <laughs> boom, see? Like, we just don't want you guys having all that fun. I don't want you putting your hand on the stove because there was a point in my life where I touched it by accident. And I know the pain that it caused. And I don't want you to know what that is. I want you to know the goodness. I want you to know good things. I don't want you to know the things that are going to harm you. Yeah, I know it looks fun to put a fork in that little box in the wall. But we don't want you to do that. Mom and dad at night, we enjoy sticking stuff in there. Forks knives, your ninja turtle, like whatever. We like, we tell you not to because we know the pain that it has. God said, do not touch this tree, not because that's the best fruit. It's just like every other tree. But if you break what I'm asking you to do, you're going to experience something that you don't want to experience. The reason that some of these situations, all of these situations that we go through in life that seem unbearable was because we were never intended to bear that. We were, God was protecting us. He wasn't being a father who didn't want his kids to have fun. And so Satan, the first thing he tries to do is, well, if he really loves you, he'd let you have that tree. The other thing he does is God, he says God doesn't tell you the truth. You know, y'all saw that one in here, right? Did he really say that though? Nah, you won't die. Well, they didn't know what death was. That was a new term. Yes, if Adam and Eve had not participated in the fruit, they would have lived forever. Sounds a little like heaven to me, right? They would have had everlasting life until one of us came along, and I'm sure, you know, we would have messed it up. That's somewhere. I mean, if you wouldn't have, I probably would have. Somebody would have messed it up. But he, he says God's not telling the truth. He also attacks and lies this. He says God, God is not a righteous judge. I mean, he ain't going to kill you. You're not going to get what you deserve. You're not going to have to suffer the consequences. God, God isn't a righteous judge. These are, by the way, these are still happening today. Well, nothing will happen to you. And then, this was probably the biggest one. 
is the lies that, that God holds back blessings. Oh, because if you eat it, you're just going to be like him. He, he just doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to know everything. Because he didn't want us to understand the pain of sin. Because we were never designed to carry burdens. And by the way, it's really hard to follow Jesus and carry burdens at the same time. He says, my burden is light. He carries it for us. So when Eve ate the fruit, she began to understand for the first time evil. And she already knew good, because that's all she knew. God was physically walking with them in the garden. What more could you ask for? Sounds a little bit heaven to me, doesn't it? He is with his people, dwelling with his people, conversing with his people, letting them work. Adam was doing work in the garden in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and his back didn't hurt, and he didn't sweat. He enjoyed it. He enjoyed cutting grass. It was weird. But then Genesis chapter 3 hits, and he doesn't enjoy it anymore. Matter of fact, the reason that we sweat and hurt and childbirth is so painful is right here in Genesis chapter 3. She knows good. But I want you to notice something in this passage. Look In verse 4, I want you to see how many times these words, Lord God, are used. Okay? Because it says, Lord God, Lord God. Let me, let me just, I'll read these verses to you real quick. In Genesis chapter 2, 4, it uses the terminology, Lord God. In 2, 7, Lord God. In chapters 2, 8, Lord God. In chapters 2, 9, Lord God. In, chapter, in verse 15, 16, 18, 19, 21, 22. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1, verse 8, verse 9, verse 13, verse 14, verse 21, verse 22, verse 23. It says, Lord God. Then notice the first time that Satan talks, it just says, God. Well, why is that? Because Satan hates the supremacy of God. He tries to go ahead and just take that out. Because Lord means there's an authority and there's a surrender there. To take that away takes all the supremacy of who God is away. He was very careful on the language that he used to deceive her. He hates God's sovereignty. He disguises himself in order to lure her into this conversation and he wants her to stop focusing on everything that God had given her because all of we're surrounded by nothing but goodness and he wants to have her focused on the one thing in the center of the garden that she's not supposed to mess with and she, he wants her to begin to covet that thing. The freedom that Satan promises always leads to bondage. Always. Doesn't matter what it is. Always leads us to bondage. And that is the lie of the ages. The woman listens to Satan. Adam listens to Eve. Nobody listened to God. 99.9%, because nothing's 100%, but I would say 100% of the times that we find ourselves in chaos is because we didn't listen to God. Because he, he is the one that directs our steps. Am I right? So when they saw this talking reptile, they should have asked, who are you? Adam should have asked, who, I don't remember you coming through when I was naming, the, who, who are you? And where'd you come from? And when he starts speaking all this nonsense, it should have been, but you don't know God. I do. Let me tell you. Because sometimes you need to preach back to the enemy, by the way. Because he, he needs to be reminded that in Revelation, it is not in well for him. We're going to see that in just a minute. 
He says, you should say, he's, he's a good God. He's a loving God. He's a God that gives blessings. He's a God that has provided for everything that we need. That's the God that I know. So whatever nonsense that you're sitting here trying to tell me, wherever and whoever you are, is not true. But instead of doing that, they give weight to the conversation and they find themselves with the fall of man. Satan attacks the goodness of God. So often we can have everything in the world and then, and then focus on the one thing we don't have. Or God didn't answer my prayer. Or God didn't answer it in the way that I wanted. And we think that God is no longer good. That his goodness is exempt from our lives. Let me, let me tell you what Paul said. In Romans chapter 8 verse 32. Paul said he did not even spare his own son. But gave him up for us. How will he not also with him grant us everything? How is this not a good God? Who he didn't even... He, could have held back anything he wanted. The very thing of his love, his, his life, his own son. He didn't even spare his son's own life. He let him come to live as an offer, a sacrifice offering for our sins so that our relationship could be restored with God. In Romans 8.32, he's saying, if God gave us his prized possession, his son, then how will he withhold anything that is good from us? He, wants to, he is a God of blessing. This isn't prosperity gospel. If you give $100 today, all your dreams come, come true. And you get the dream car that you want, and you get the dream vacation that you want, and you get the dream house. No, let me tell you, you want to know what the blessing is in the Bible? The presence of God. That's the, that's the blessing. The blessing of Christmas, the presence of God. That's the blessing. And he says... If God gave us the prize possession, then he will not withhold anything from us. God creates, sin corrupts, and Jesus redeems. And by the way, everything God does, Satan counter, counterfeits. Counterfeits everything. He creates nothing. And anything that he tries to create is not out of nothing. It is based off of something else. Because the only time that word bara is used in the scripture is when it refers to what God created. And a matter of fact, you can notice the language. It says that in the beginning God created out of nothing, right? But when it comes to woman, he said he made. Because he made her out of Adam's rib. I would say it was his prime rib. I had, I had to at some point... But let's wrap, let's wrap this in here. Look at, look at what he says. Um, my New Year's resolution is to have better jokes. Um, but let me, while I work on, on comedy, let me, let me work on the gospel right here. Because he says in verse 8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. Oh my gosh, what a sound. Here's the rustling of the feet. I love that, that old hymn, I've, I've come to the garden of Loam. You know what I'm talking about? And he walks with me and he talks with me. And I heard the Lord, the sound of the Lord. I don't know what that sound sounded like. But I would imagine when you just started learning bad things, it was probably like when your mama said, wait till your daddy comes home. <laughs> you know what, y'all been there? And for some reason you thought if I get in my bed and pull the blanket, that's the safest place that I could be because he'll just look in and be like, oh, there's a lump in the bed. We'll just keep on walking. That's what I think the sound probably sounded like to them. But I want you to hear this, what it really sounded like. 
Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from him. I want you to look at the language again. They hid from who? Because only Satan tries to take the sovereignty of God away. And they hid from him among the trees of the garden. So the Lord called out to the man and said to him, where are you? Now, let's just ask this question. Did God know where they were? Just want to make sure you understand his, his authority is still there. And he said, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And then God asked, well, who told you you didn't have any clothes on? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Then he asked, who told you you didn't have any clothes? Who told you you were naked? And he said, did you, did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Because there's, listen, every time you sin, there's always a tale that you sin. Like it's going to come out one way or another. And then the man replied, you ready? Typical guy. The woman, the woman gave you to be with me, and she gave me some fruit of the tree, and I ate it. Her fault. I don't know how that works in your household, but it doesn't work in mine. And so the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, it was Satan's fault. He deceived me. And I ate it. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, notice, he asked Adam a question. He asked Eve a question. He's not asking Satan questions. Notice what he said. So he says to the Lord, uh, says to, the Lord God says to the serpent, because you have done this, you're cursed more than any other livestock and more than any other, any other wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. So they went from standing upright, walking like the, the monsters ink character thing, to now crawling on the bellies. And he says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he says this, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. The sin led to the fall of man. That's why we have the issues we have today with sin. God first attacks the serpent and he hands out judgment. And then God gives the first gospel message in all of the Bible when he says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between you and your offspring. And he will strike your head very quickly. Let me, let me walk you through this. Three things God predicts in this verse. Number one, he says a battle is going to take place. You need to understand that. Right here at creation, God declares there's going to be an all-out war between good and evil, light and darkness. Would we say that we're seeing that right now, that that was a very good prediction on behalf of God? The second thing is, he says there's a birth that's going to take place. He says your seed, her seed. Every time seed is referred to, in the scripture, it's referred to as being spread. It always comes through the seed of man. This is the only time in the Bible that says that a woman's seed will spread, procreation. A hundred years later, the prophet Isaiah gives commentary to this very thing because Isaiah says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a son. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. God is saying the Bible is going to be true, and I'm going to fight, and i got a plan in place to redeem and to fix this mess. And then he says this promise, that there is a bruising that is going to take place. He says, I will strike his head. He's talking to Satan, right? He will strike his head, and you will strike his heel. And God says, I'm coming to stomp his head, and I'm going to strike my heel on him. Now, I don't step on snakes. Okay, just not something I, I, not my thing. But when you do, I want you to get the imagery of the foot coming out and stomping on the head. What happens to the body? Everywhere. What we feel right now in the world, the foot is on the head. 
This is his body taking out anything and everything that it possibly can. And he says this. God says, I'm coming to stomp his head and I'll strike his heel. At the crucifixion of Jesus, the bruising didn't end Satan's control, but what it did at the crucifixion of Jesus, when Jesus said, it is finished, he stomped the head of the serpent when he said, it is finished. And that bruising didn't end the control. It caused all this movement. To, he knows his days are limited. I'm going to do whatever I can to whoever I can to take everybody out to get, off of, to get God back in here. I mean, if you look at Romans chapter 16, this is where we're closing. Our worship team can come up. Paul's speaking to Christians who are being persecuted. They, they have gone through unbelievable things, being killed, being impaled, being burned at the stake, being used as lighting for Nero's parties. And Paul writes to them. And they're being persecuted to the highest degree. And look what Paul says. He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under, what is that word? Your feet. He didn't make a grammatical error. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, our feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. So whose feet? Yours. Well, I thought it was Jesus who trampled snakes. Well, Paul's saying here that when you become a part of the family of God, we will, with Jesus, on the head of Satan together, stop. There's coming a day when we collectively will be dancing on the head of the snake, of the enemy. And if you're part of the body of Christ, you have absolutely nothing to fear because God wants the very best for you. Don't let this scare you. It just marks the times the enemy knows his fate. He will be cast out. What I want you to understand today from this passage, they didn't know what they needed in Genesis chapter 3 because they had it all. But when sin entered, it revealed the need that we need, a say, every single one of us, None of us is immune. We all caught it. With one bite, we all caught it. But Jesus has come to redeem us and to make us whole. This is how it all starts. And in 12 months from now, we're going to see how it all ends. But for right now, what I want you to do over the next couple of weeks is I want you to watch how God narrates this love story. It has its ups and its downs, but God is always working. Jesus is always mentioned somewhere in the, Old, in the New Old Testament, pointing us to what's to come. And he did it 15 verses in in Genesis to say, I have a plan to redeem this, to fix this. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, as we open your word and, and we see this today, and as we read through our readings this week to get a bigger picture of this story, the one thing that we see is a loving God sent his son from his throne to come and live among his people, Emmanuel, God with us. And Lord, the, the enemy came to defeat, but he found himself crushed under the cross. And Lord, what we experience today is just the after effects that he knows that he, he's going, his reign will end. 
So, Lord, I pray that what we do as a church is we recognize, number one, the enemy's trying to knock anything and everybody out however he can. And that the only thing that will help is for us giving warning. And that warning comes through the gospel. May we preach boldly and hear from your spirit and be obedient. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.